Amen. Thank you. We want to welcome each and every one of you to East Hills of Baptist Church this morning. Whether you're here or watching online, we want to thank you for spending this Memorial Day weekend with us. Uh, with that in mind, I just want to remind you that there'll be a Memorial Day service tomorrow at the DAB building at 10 o'clock. And after the service, they'll be serving hot dogs and all that, of course, is free. Also, I want to mention that if you're a visitor or maybe you hadn't been here in quite some time, uh, inside your bulletin, there's a care card. And if you would fill that out so that we could have a record of your visit, we'd really appreciate it. You can put that card back there where you put your offering in the basket back there so that we could have a record of that. We'd appreciate it. Also, want to remind you that our Father's Day service will be in the sanctuary. We're planning a baptism uh, that Sunday. Um, so if you are a candidate for baptism, uh, please contact the church office because it'll probably be the last baptism we have until the summer is over. So if you'd like to be baptized, just please contact the church office so that we could have a record of, your, of that. We'd really appreciate it. I'm going to ask you to stand now, say hello to your neighbor, and let's worship the Lord together.
Thank you. I want to read this quote. Billy Graham shared this back in 1955, and he said this. These battlefields of the world today are hallowed and holy to every American, and we pause to give them our highest honors, humbly realizing the sacred trust that these, our war dead, have handed to us. The freedoms we enjoy, the freedoms we take so much for granted. Now listen to what he says. The freedoms we so often trifle with were bought not by the gold of millionaires, nor altogether the genius of our scientists, nor the sacrifices of the people at home, but primarily by the blood, sweat, and agony of those whose names on this day we honor, those who died that we might live. Think about that for a moment. You have the freedoms that you have in America, and we have freedoms, aren't you thankful? Because someone died. Somebody died. And that's, that's who we honor today. And I would, I would invite you to come to this altar. Uh, Wednesday night, we talked about Noah building an altar. And why, would, why, why do you have an altar? An altar is a place where you can consecrate yourself. An altar is a place you can come with your family. Of course, you don't have to come forward. You don't have to. But we, we set aside this time in our service for you. This is the invitation. Okay? Primarily, the invitation at the end of the sermon is for someone that may be lost. This is the invitation for you and your family to come as a church family and pray for our country, pray for yourself, pray for this service. Amen? Pray for this service. And, uh, and we've set this time aside for you to do that if you'd like to. So as the praise team leads us in this song, I'm going to invite you to meet me here at this altar. And let's pray together as a church family this morning. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you, Lord, for the men and women who sacrificed their life, lives so that we could have freedom, put themselves in harm's way for this country. We want to thank you for that. Lord, we honor those people today. I pray that we'd never take the freedoms that we have in America for granted. Lord, we have the freedom to worship. We, we, we have a choice every Sunday morning whether to get up and go to a house of worship. We're so blessed. Other countries don't have that. I pray that we'd never take that for granted. Father, thank you for this church. Lord, I want to thank you that we live in Alexander County. So many good churches in this county. I pray that you'd bless them all, Lord. But primarily, selfishly, Lord, I pray for this church. And thank you for placing us here together as a church family because that's what we are. Father, I've seen this church walk with people through some of the darkest days imaginable as a church family. So, Father, we thank you for that. And I pray that we'd never take that for granted. Father, we pray that you'd bless in this service today. Lord, I'm going to be talking about forgiveness. And Lord, even as Christians, we must humble ourselves before the throne of God and ask for forgiveness. And Lord, your word says that you're compassionate toward that. So Father, today I pray that there'd be some people walking out of here in victory because they've been forgiven. And Father, if there's anyone here today that's lost, any person, I pray that today through the Holy Spirit, you'd convict hearts and save for your honor and for your glory. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you for the things that you alone can do. Father, only you can do that. And we ask you to do it. And I pray that you be glorified because of it. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said together, amen.
default position as strugglers is to believe that God's disappointed and frustrated. 
that he simply is tolerating us. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians 1 says, no, 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 no. Before the foundation of the earth was laid, he was going to adopt you, make you holy and blameless in his sight. So whether difficult days or good days, God's at work. God has not abandoned you in this difficult season. How amazing does that make our God that in our hypocrisy, he's long suffering with us. In our inability to live out all that he would call us to, he continues to lavish upon us his grace. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. So I love this word lavish, extravagant, plentiful, over the top. And so now when the Bible's talking about forgiveness, it's saying that his grace in forgiveness is lavish, like it's too much, like it's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous amount, right? It's, it's, it's weight, it's over the top. It's out of control. Man of woman of God in Christ but struggling, God does not regret saving you. He doesn't regret it. You haven't surprised him. You cannot surprise him. God is not watching where you are now, watching how you've struggled this week, watching how you stumble and fall, and regretting the decision to pay the price for you and for You have no sin past present and future that has more power than the cross of Jesus Christ. None. This means that your salvation wasn't just a past event alone, but that Christ even now is continuing to save you. He didn't forgive your past sins and now leaving it up to you to conquer present and future sins, which means it doesn't matter how you came in here. It means God can rescue. It means God can save. And it means for those of us who are in Christ, you do not disgust him. You do not discuss it. You don't know what I struggle with and how deplorable it is. Um, I know that Jesus would say that he paid the bill in full, and so what you're saying is nonsense. That is the grace with which he lavished on us in his forgiveness. Your view of God... And what you know of God will determine, really, your, uh, your joy in your Christian walk. So many Christians, after they're saved, will struggle with sin issues. Then they'll doubt their salvation. And there's no question you're saved. You just struggle. And then the question will come up, well, will God forgive me? Well, of course He will. If you believe that, then you can get past your past. If not, you never will. Micah talks about this in Micah chapter 7. Good luck finding it. If you'll stand with me, it's the Minor Prophets. If you find Jonah, it's just one book over, okay? And Micah asks this question. Who is a God like you? Who is a God like him? Do you realize that Christianity is basically the only faith that has a God that forgives? Yep, the rest of other ones, it's just up to you. Your good outweighs your bad. You have to have some kind of penance or something like that. But in Christianity, God forgives. Now, when Micah writes here, he's a prophet to the southern kingdom. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. He's writing about a nation, but it's applicable to our lives as well. Verse 18, he says this, Who is a God like you? Now notice why he says it. 
He says, pardoning iniquity. Beautiful words. Pardoning iniquity. That's talk, the word iniquity there talks about the guilt that comes with your sin, and it's a lot. And you can't get rid of it. You can't. Do you hear me? You can't get rid of it. But God can pardon it. Notice. And passing over the transgression of the remnant of his heritage. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in mercy. Notice, he delights in mercy. How do you view God? Mercy means I'm not going to give you what you deserve. Okay? He delights in it, is what the Bible says. He will again have, look at the word compassion on us. I want you all to think with me. If you're watching via Facebook Live, you're not going to get a lot of compassion if you mess up from Facebook. You're not. You're just not going to get a lot of compassion. we got got 100 churches plus in this county, and you mess up, you're not going to get a lot of compassion. You're just not. But he does. Compassion. He delights in mercy. Why would you not run to a God like this? Why would you not? Who is like you, God? Who is like you? Notice what else he says. And will subdue our iniquities. That word iniquity means a perverse part of you, and we all have it. He steps on it. That's what God does. And then it says this, and will cast. Look at that word cast. It means to violently throw all our sins into the depth of the sea. Now notice the word all. Past, present, and future. And then he makes this last statement. You will give truth to Jacob, mercy to Abraham, which you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. God does not lie. Who is a God like you? That's the question this morning. What kind of God do you serve? What kind of God do you worship? I can worship a God like that for all eternity, couldn't you? Compassion, mercy, steps on my perversion, and throws my sins to the depths of the sea. Father, as we come to you in prayer, Lord, if there's anyone here who has not placed their faith in you, Lord, why, why would somebody say no to a God like you? Father, I pray that you would save for your honor and your glory. Lord, there are probably Christians in here this morning, and they think they disgust you, but they don't. Lord, I pray that you would show incredible compassion and mercy this morning. And I pray that each person here this morning, Lord, as, as your child, would understand who you are. And Lord, I pray that you would bring forgiveness for all of us. Lord, we all fall short every day. Some sins will be known, some will not. Lord, you love us. And Lord, help us as a church to grow up, be mature, and forgive like you forgive. Help us, Lord, to show mercy. Help us to show compassion. And help us not be disgusted with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And Father, we'll forever thank you and praise you for what you alone can do. In Jesus' name I pray. And once again, all of God's people said together, Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Micah. Micah is one of the few prophets where he's named by his hometown. And you can find that in Micah chapter 1. Micah was a prophet to the southern kingdom. I'm a map guy, so if you'll show this map just out of a study Bible. The purple is the northern kingdom. Okay. The other is the southern kingdom. When you read the minor prophets, 
okay, Jonah, all, all these ones, Ezekiel, all these prophets, okay, they're either prophesying to the southern kingdom or the northern kingdom. The majority, Isaiah, Micah, most of them are in the southern kingdom. Judah is the capital there. Then you have, or Judah, and then Jerusalem's the capital. And then you have Israel where Samaria is the capital, okay? So when you're reading a, a minor prophet, are they prophesying about the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom? Micah comes along at this time. Is, uh, the southern kingdom is doing very well. They're prospering. But the leadership of that day is very greedy. They're starting to worship idols. And God was very long-suffering with the southern kingdom. As a matter of fact, Micah 1.6, if you'll read that verse, Micah talks about what's about to happen to the northern kingdom. Assyria is coming, and they're going to ransack the place, and there's going to be nothing left. I'll give you time after time, prophet after prophet. Notice the next map. See where Assyria is? Then Babylon below them? Well, Assyria comes from all the way there to take the northern kingdom. Okay? Just to take the northern kingdom. They just wiped it out. And then Micah is still here saying, listen, Babylon's going to come and take us out. And they did, if you don't repent. If you don't repent. As a matter of fact, Micah's prophecy and prophesying was so overwhelming that Jeremiah, who prophesied when Babylon came and took the southern kingdom, said this. He was... Jeremiah kept prophesying, saying, listen, just like what happened to the northern kingdom, it's going to happen to the southern kingdom, okay, if we don't. And you know what they wanted to do to Jeremiah? They wanted to put him in prison, and they did. We don't want to hear that. Things are good. He says, no, they're not. We're wicked. We've forgotten God. God's going to bring another country to overthrow us, just like he did the northern kingdom. Now, listen, they brought him out. They brought Jeremiah out. He says, then some of the old wise men stood and spoke to all the people assembled there, and they said, remember when Micah prophesied during the reign of King Hezekiah of Judah, and he told the people of Judah, this is what the Lord of Heaven's army says, Mount Zion will be plowed like an open field, Jerusalem will be reduced to ruins, a thicket will grow on the heights where the temple now stands. But King Hezekiah and the people, but did King Hezekiah and the people kill him for saying this? No, they turned from their sins and worshiped the Lord. They begged him for mercy then the Lord changed his mind about the terrible disaster he had pronounced against them. So even in Jeremiah's day, when they wanted to throw him in jail, they, they said, remember what Micah did. See, when the Assyrians came, Micah said this, they're not only going to come get the northern kingdom, but some of our towns are going to take as well as a sign. Then they started get, uh, coming around Jerusalem. And Micah and the prophets go to King Hezekiah and says, you need to bring this before the Lord and repent Maybe God will show mercy. The king of Assyria wrote a letter to King Hezekiah and says, I'm going to overtake your whole country. I'm going to take your women. I'm going to take your children. And he took that letter into the house of the Lord, and he said, God, I'm just going to give it to you. I'm just going to give it to you. Nothing we can do. We, we can't stop them. So we beg you for mercy. Now, this is the southern kingdom. And 185,000 Assyrians died that night or that morning. Matter of fact, the Assyrians have it in their history. They don't say they lost, but it says they came back empty-handed. And God showed mercy through the preaching of Micah. Okay? But eventually, eventually, Micah dies, Jeremiah's on the scene, and eventually the nation does not repent. But they will come back, and that's where you get to Micah chapter 7. Micah says this, look, when you come back, God loves you, and he's going to show mercy to you. Think about this. Why would God do that? Because God is, first point, God is holy. 
God is holy. That's why you see all these sin terms used. Notice these three aspects of God's holiness. Positional holiness, which means He's the highest. God is transcendent. He has majestic nobility. Far above us, He's distinct from us. He's different. He's unique. He's one of a kind. No one is on His level. He exceeds all comparisons. He is holy. Holiness is the attribute that describes all the others. His love is holy. His sovereignty is holy. His mercy is holy. His grace is holy. His omnipotence is holy. His wrath is holy. His justice is holy. And His goodness is holy. What does that mean? It means you're just cut. You're separate from everybody. The Bible speaks of the splendor of God's holiness over and over again. That's why Isaiah says this, To whom will you liken God? Who can you compare to God? The psalmist would say this, uh, your, for your righteousness, O God, reaches to the heavens. You have done great things. O God, who's like you? They understood that. There's nobody like him. He's holy. Positionally, he's holy. And then look, moral holiness. This is why forgiveness is so important. God is pure, sinless, faultless, no hint of moral imperfection. He is perfect in all of his ways. His will is perfect. All he can do is morally holy and perfect. He has never erred in the slightest. He's never miscalculated. He has never misjudged or made a mistake. He has never done you wrong. He is perfect because he is morally holy. And then notice this, judicial holiness. Judicial holiness because God is holy. He must judge all sin. So your forgiveness come at great cost. You hear that? He must judge all sin. That's why you had a northern kingdom fall and a southern kingdom fall. And God gave them hundreds of years to repent and they wouldn't. That's why you had a flood. We looked at it for four or five weeks on Wednesday nights. Because God must judge all sin. He cannot be indifferent to any sin. But think about this. Compassionate, mercy. Why can he do that? We're going to talk about that in just a moment. God is not lukewarm or passive about sin. No one is okay or good enough, not me, not you. We will all stand either in Christ's righteousness or our own. One person put this, God is long-suffering, but has a violent reaction against all that is unholy. He flooded the world because of unholiness and sin. He will burn it up the next time. Look at the Old Testament and God's judgment on His own people. Look at all those. A price had to be paid. Every sin that has ever been committed is going to be punished either at judgment or on the cross. Christ will be your Savior or your judge. No sin is ever swept under the carpet, nor does God turn a blind eye to it. When people stand before God at the great white throne judgment, books will be opened and sins will be listed. You broke this law, you broke this law, you broke this law, you broke this law. Okay? Because you will be punished for rejecting Christ and standing in your own. God is holy, but notice the second point. God forgives sin and sinners. This holy God forgives sin and sinners. Notice the verse on the screen. Who is a God like you pardoning iniquity? Look at that word iniquity. In, in the Hebrew, it's spelled like avon, A-V-O-N. Okay? But the meaning is this. One scholar says this word in the Hebrew is the iniquity or guilt which is associated with twisting the standard of God because sin brings guilt, and you cannot get rid of your guilt. A guilty conscience means this. Okay? A guilty conscience means this, that I can come in here, I can dress nice, I can have a smile on my face, and I can sing praise songs to the Lord, and on the inside, my insides are eating me up. Can't sleep at night. You start to lose weight. Okay? Why? Because you've got a guilty conscience. You've got a guilty conscience. Listen, your doctor can't help you with that. Can't do it. Nope. It's always going to be there. 
There's nothing that can stop that but God. I'm telling you, there's nothing that can take care of that guilt but the Lord. Sin brings enormous guilt. David wrote Psalm 32, and he said, My bones wax old all day long. David said, I've aged over this thing when I kept silent. Aged. Emotionally, he was a wreck. You talk about depression, imagine being David. Sleeping with that guilt every night of his life. Can't sleep. Hey, listen, there's not enough sleeping pills to remove your guilt. It's just not. It's just not. Nothing you can do about it. But, guess what? He pardons it. Notice that word, pardon. That word means to carry off. It means to take it. That word, that word there for pardon means to take it and remove it. The Hebrew word for pardoning right there is the word nasa, N-A-S-A. And it means this, to take away from you and remove it forever. And what Micah is saying is this. You think the Israelites had anything to be guilty of? Oh, yeah. God will carry your guilt and take it away from you. Give it to him and trust him with it. Who's a God like you? Nobody. I'll take your guilt away from you. Now notice the word transgression. That means this, that God has a rule. We know it and we willfully break it. Every one of us in here are transgressors at times. Look, God has a rule. We willfully break it over and over and over again. It's open rebellion against God. Now notice the next verse says this, and he will again have compassion on us and subdue our iniquities. Look at that word iniquity. You know what that means? Moral perversion. The stuff nobody knows about but you. That perverted part of you, if there is one there, and, and what it tempts you to do, that's it. That's what that means. And what God says this, he will again have, look at the word compassion. Solomon put it this way, He who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will find compassion. Solomon understood that. He said, if you confess and conceal your sin, nothing good is going to happen. You're just going to heap up guilt, but if you confess and forsake it, you'll find compassion from the Lord. That word compassion is the Hebrew word. It's, it's like the strong feelings a mother has for her unborn child. And then when it's born. Think about how much you love that baby, ladies. God shows greater compassion for you than you do for your child. Who is a God like you? Who is a God like you when it comes to your iniquities? That word compassion. See, the, the Hebrew word that is used for compassion is only used one time when someone talks about the Lord. One time in the whole Bible. In Psalm 18 it says, I love you. Oh, Lord, my strength. That word is, that's the word for compassion. I love you there. But every other time it's used about God speaking to his people. Psalm 103, 13 says, Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Psalm 116, 5, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Yes, our God is compassionate. This holy God who can't tolerate sin can show compassion on you because Jesus the only reason. Compassionate. So when you ask God for forgiveness, He shows compassion. Okay? He shows incredible, incredible compassion. Now notice this verse. Next verse. He will cast your sins into the depths of the sea. Look at that word for cast. It kind of means like fishing cast, but it means to violently throw. Have you ever... I wonder how far you can throw a baseball in here. Anybody? You can probably out-throw me now. 
Back in the day, I was pretty decent. Okay, when I played outfield for the for the Cougars, if a if a guy was on base, we prided ourselves in putouts, which meant you throw the guy out. That's what you do. And we prided ourselves. We were a little arrogant about it at the time, but God's helped me with that. Okay. And what would happen is if you had a pop-up guy on second, you never caught the ball back here. You can't throw nobody out like that, can you, Daryl? You know what you'd do? You would time it, and you would run, and you would catch it, and you'd crow hop, and then you'd throw him out. And what we would do when the ball was in the air, Lord forgave us, would say, you better not send him, coach. Better not send him, coach. Better not send him, coach. And then throw it, one hop it to the third baseman or the home plate, and then the guy is out, Okay. You threw it as hard as you could, but it had to be online, and it always, always had to one-hop. If you, if you played for our team and you caught a pop-up like this, you ran poles the whole next practice. Yes, because you didn't do that, all right? You had to violently throw that thing as hard as you could to try to get the guy out. That's what the word cast means. God is going to violently throw your sins, notice where he says, into the depths of the sea. Think about that for a moment. The deepest part of the sea that we know of is called Challenger Deep. It is 10, almost 11,000 meters or almost 36,000 feet or seven miles deep. Think about that for a moment. And the Bible says that God cast, throws your sins to the depths of the sea. What that means is just where you miss the mark. We all, we're always constantly, daily missing the mark. And what Malachi, or Micah is saying here to, to these people, these, these sinful people, is that God will cast all your sins, all of them, into the depths of the sea. Isn't that amazing? See, when I first got saved, I, that's not the God that I was taught. Mm -mm. It was God was nitpicking every step I took. Had to dress a certain way. Had to do this. Had to do that. You can't do this. You can't do that. Okay? And we should be sanctified and be as holy as we can be. But aren't you thankful for grace? Aren't you thankful that God shows mercy? He delights in it, in verse 18. And then he has compassion. He does not retain his anger forever. And then he casts our sins into the depths of the sea. Uh, if you look at the Challenger Deep, I think maybe a couple people have been down there and specially modified contraptions, that's what I'll call it. And even then, I don't think some of them even made it all the way to the bottom. I'm not real sure. Okay? And what God, the, the imagery here is this. Nobody's going to bring that back up. Nobody can. Nobody can. And that word sins means it's just all of it combined. Transgressions, iniquity. You just named the whole thing that God cast our sins into the depths of the sea. It's an amazing thing. The psalmist put it this way. As far as the east is from the west so far as he removed our transgressions from us. He says he will subdue them. That means that he will walk on them. That word tread or subdue means that, that you walk on them as one who conquered a nation or a person. Every step that would be taken if you conquered a nation was yours. God told Joshua, he said, when you go into the promised land, if you don't stray from the right or the left of my law and you keep it, everywhere you step is yours. Everywhere you step. Everywhere you step is yours. I bet when David killed Goliath, he stepped on him. Just put his foot on him. I subdue you. You're subdued today. Okay, I'm going to step on you. When I built my house in 2000, 2000, yeah, 2000, we built our house. We were blessed to be able to do that. 
Now, some of the places I lived growing up, I was happy to get a house, right? And I stepped all over my house. Those hardwoods I put down, those are mine. Stepped on them. I said, every inch of this place is mine. God does that with your sins. Steps on them. Just subdues them. The Bible says that Satan's head will be bruised by the heel of Jesus because he just stepped on it. Who is a God like you? Why would you not run to Jesus? Why would you not run to him? What kind of picture are we giving a lost world? God is holy and he will judge sin and hell is going to be filled. Okay? But there's grace today to be saved. And Lewis, the third point, and we'll be done. I'm going to ask your musicians to come on. Forgiveness is possible because of Jesus. Notice the verse on the screen. But God demonstrated his own love. Public display of love. When Jesus hung on the cross, literally stripped nude, and bore God's sin, or bore our sin and God's wrath on the cross. God demonstrates his own love for us that while we were still sinners, there's that word, Christ died for us. Christ died for you while you were still a sinner. Think about who you were when God saved you. Man, I don't want to go back to that guy. I don't. I just don't want to be that guy again. Okay? Don't have to be. But Jesus died for that guy. Okay? That guy is who he died for. And today he died for you and rose from the dead. Look at me. Have you ever really, truly, honestly placed your faith in Jesus? I'm not talking about being religious at all. I wasn't really, I wasn't a part of a church. I wasn't part of nothing when I got saved. But I was lost, and I, I, the love of Jesus just overwhelmed me. You can be born again. Paul would always say this every time he preached, today, today is a day of salvation. To the thief on the cross, Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. It's amazing to me. Compassion, mercy, and grace on the cross. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Forgive them. That's the God we serve. Who is a God like you? I want you to stand with me with every head bowed and every eye closed. And you don't have to come to the altar. But this is what I would tell you to do. Let me ask you a question. Are you forgiven this morning? Are you? Are you forgiven this morning? Hey, and listen, God knows all about you. <laughs> he knows all about it. Your spouse probably don't know. Don't have to. Your friends don't know. God knows you. Okay? And the Bible says that he delights to show mercy. Do you trust him today? Why don't you just pray this? Father, forgive me for. And just pray that and trust him with it. To cast that into the depths of the sea. Do you know forgiveness this morning? Have you had your conscience cleansed? Are you still clinging to guilt? Let him pardon you this morning. Father, as we come to you in prayer, this is your time and these are your people. Father, save for your honor and for your glory. Lord, if there's anyone here today that's lost, I pray that you would save them for your honor and your glory. And Lord, I pray that we would be a cleansed church this morning. Father, help us to walk in the forgiveness and the mercy and the compassion that you offer. Who is a God like you? Father, forgive us for painting a different picture sometimes. And Lord, help us to show that same grace to our brothers and sisters in Christ.
Father, this is your time and these are your people. I pray that this invitation bring honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As Sharon leads us in this song, you respond as the Lord leads you this morning. place your faith in Jesus and you'd like to talk to me, I'm probably the easiest person in Alexander County to get a hold of. Okay, so I would love to talk with you about that. Do not, do not leave this church with your guilt intact, okay? Don't. Accept the compassion and mercy. You know, the great thing about a pardon is you have to accept it. Some people don't. Some people don't. In history, it shows that some people would not accept a pardon. So I pray that you'll do that. And listen, show grace to your neighbor. Amen. Show grace to them. Reach out to those people that mess up because they need to see Jesus, right? You're never more like Jesus than when you forgive. We're going to talk about that next week. God bless you. I hope you have a great week and hope to see you back here Wednesday.